All right, let's look at uh, God's Word this morning. We are in Daniel chapter 2. We're going to be focusing on verses 24 through 35. We're going to take the interpretation of Daniel's dream. We're going to do it over two weeks, okay? Uh, because it's really there's really a lot here, and it's going to take a little bit of explanation. What we're going to focus on today is Daniel going to the king before, kind of saying some things to the king before he gives the interpretation. And then we're going to focus on Daniel telling the king what the dream is. What was it that he dreamed? Next week, we'll look at what the meaning, the interpretation of the dream is, okay? And that's that's a lot of prophetic material. So let me just start real quick. I need to make you aware that in the 1800s, among some of the uh, liberal scholars, they began to question the validity and the claim that uh, Nebuch- that uh, Daniel wrote this book, okay, or that this book was written around the time of Daniel. And the reason why is is because, starting with this prophecy and going through all of the prophecies of Daniel, they are very specific. In fact, they are almost too specific, as far as these scholars would be saying that that there's no way some guy, several hundred years before it happens, could have an understanding of what was going to happen and how specific they would be. And so they, had, they said that this book had to have been written sometime in the Roman era. Okay? Sometime in, in at least the 200 years in and around the time of Jesus' life. And, and so, and that's what the common view of the skeptic is, is that this could not be prophecy. This could not be, nobody could know that this was going to happen. Well, yeah, if you don't believe in the supernatural, and if you do not believe in the power of God, and you do not believe that he knows everything and he exists outside of time, you'd have to come up with some sort of rationalistic point of view that would say that this had to be written later rather than before. But the reality is, is we do believe in the sovereignty of God. We do believe that he does know, and that he can state the truth of what is going to happen. And so remember, when we talked about it in our introduction, prophecy is not a prediction, it's a statement of truth of what God is going to do. Okay? And so that's what we're going to see here. Now, uh, a lot of times people will say to me, well, why did, uh, why did God give this to Nebuchadnezzar? I don't know the answer to that. The text doesn't tell us. The simple fact of the matter is, is he did. And it's going to show us what's happening in the future. Okay? What's happening at that point and what's happening in the future. And again, I want to make one more point to you. Remember, the main character in the book of Daniel is not Daniel. The main character in the book of Daniel is God. You understand what I'm saying? Throughout this whole book, you're going to see emphasized over and over that the issue is God and the reality of his power and his knowledge and his sovereignty. And you're going to see that especially today as Daniel appears before the king, talks to the king about this dream that he has, and as he explains the dream to him. So let's look at this together. We're uh, looking at verse 24 through 35. Let's first focus, of all, focus on verses 34 through, excuse me, 24 through 30. Okay? Let's read those together. Therefore Daniel went to Arach, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. 
He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arah quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what will come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who made known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. That's interesting. Let's take a look at that. First of all, uh, we're going to see here Daniel appears before the king. First thing I want you to know is, is Daniel, of course he follows the protocol, he just didn't rush into the king's presence. He went to the captain of the guard and requested to see the king. So he went to Arach, who was the captain of the guard, Arach, the chief executioner, obviously, because Arach was given the task of killing the wise men. He goes to him and says, hey, I've got the, I've got the interpretation. Take me to the king. Okay. Now, verse 25 tells us, notice how Arach responded. Okay. He responded what? Slowly, to take his time, well, yeah, maybe we'll do this next week. You know, what did he do? It says he responded what? Quickly. Now, probably you can read some things into it. Now, with most of these potentates, with most of these kings, they are the supreme ruler. And sometimes, you know, history tells us that some of them were kind of off a little bit. It would make <laughs> decrees that didn't make sense. Killing all of the wise men, all of the officials in a kingdom would not make what? Sense. Okay? So obviously, Arach is a, is, is, is a sharp guy. He wants to fulfill what the king says, or he would lose his own head. Okay, he's already expressed that to earlier. He's already expressed that kind of thinking. The reality is that he's going to quickly bring Daniel before the king so that what? The killing spree stops. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that they would stop the execution of these wise men, these officials. Okay? These are not just fortune tellers, although they, what they dabble in is like fortune telling. These are basically the guys who run and administer the affairs of the empire. Alright? So he goes before, the captain brought Daniel before the king, so he immediately brings him before the king. And then notice now, he announces Daniel's interpret intention to reveal the dream. Now notice something now. 
Look at what the text emphasizes. Now, I need to remind you that this portion of Daniel is written in the Aramaic, so it's written in a Gentile language. But notice now, when he presents Daniel before the king, how does he present him? What does he make, what does he make note of when he presents him before the king? What does he say, folks? Look at your scripture there. Okay, what does he say? He says he's of the captives of where? Judah. So he's making a point that one of the Jewish captives, okay, is coming before him to make uh, this interpretation. So verse 26 then, you see the king asking Daniel, ask Daniel if he's able to reveal the dream and its interpretation. So remember again, Nebuchadnezzar had not just wanted an interpretation. That would have been normal, okay? That was normal for kings. If they had a dream, they wanted somebody to interpret it for them. That's the normal part of it. What's abnormal is that King Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to tell him what? What he dreamt. Now, is that possible? No. Okay? Uh, and so here, notice now the humility of Daniel in his response. Okay? Notice there's some humility there. We see it in verse 20, 27 to 30. He's going to make a point here. First thing he's going to make a point is, is about the issue the king is asking. Daniel proclaims that the wise men could not reveal the secret of the dreams. He's like, King, what you're asking, nobody can do that. In fact, I want you to notice now, he wants to make a point here. Look at verse 27. Daniel specifically delineates each group of officials in his kingdom here. He says wise men, astrologers, magicians, soothsayers. So he's basically covering the gamut here of everyone. He's wanting the king to understand there is no way that any of these guys, any level of these guys, can do what you're asking. There's no way that can happen. And remember, they already told him that earlier in the chapter. Remember the wise men, the astrologers, the soothsayers, they all said, hey king, you're asking us to do something that not even the gods can do. I mean, that, that only the gods can do. Not any man can do it, okay? So Daniel's wanting to re-emphasize the point with the king. Hey, you know what? You're asking a pretty serious thing here, and none of these guys can do it. None of these guys have the ability to do that. So then he notices now the proclamation that Daniel makes here. He proclaims that there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Now notice the first thing he does. He wants to make the point to the king, no human being can do it. So, at that point, if you're arrogant, you say, but I've got the interpretation. No, no, he doesn't do that. He defers from himself any, credit, you know, any, any credibility on his part as far as how special he is for having the interpretation in the dream. He immediately defers over to who? To God. He says, there's a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven, the God in heaven, who reveals secrets. Okay? King, you need to understand, there's a God who's in control. And he's the one who reveals secrets. And, he's, and, and King, this dream that you have had that's bothered you, 
that's consumed you, that you want to know what's going on about this, what's going on, that dream was given to you by the God who reveals secrets. And what's he saying here? This God made known to the king what will take place in the future. Now, again, let's just make the point here. Why Nebuchadnezzar? I don't know. I can speculate. My speculation is, at this point, Jerusalem is laid waste. Most of the prophecies, even though the prophecies that we're going to see here today, deal with what happens with the Gentile kingdoms. Okay, But they're the Gentile kingdoms who are dominating Israel at this point. The point is, is that ultimately these prophecies are for the nation Israel, okay, concerning the future of what's going to happen with Israel and God's people and the establishment of God's kingdom, okay. So it's obvious that the re- that you're going to do it with the first king who's of these series of kingdoms that we're going to see in the interpretation. So he's going to give the give the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, okay. So. Other than that, I don't know why God chose Nebuchadnezzar. When we go to be with the Lord, you can ask Daniel, Hey, Daniel, why did this happen? Okay. At that point, you know what? You won't even need to ask answer that question because you'll understand at that point. Okay. You won't even need to answer that question. It's not going to really matter. Okay. But the reality is, is he gave it to Nebuchadnezzar. And the reason he gave it to Nebuchadnezzar, he says it right here in the text so that you can understand what's going to happen in the future. God's revealing to you what's going to happen in the future. Now notice, now Daniel says, the reason why I'm able to come to you and give you this dream, tell you what the dream was, and give you the interpretation is for two purposes. Two purposes. And I think it's pretty interesting. Notice what he says. He says, first of all, that the secret was not revealed to him because of his wisdom. So again, he's deferring any kind of credibility for himself. He's not. He says, you know what, king, I'm not a wise guy. I'm not, it's not given to me because I'm the wisest. It's not given to me for that purpose at all. It's not given for me as far as my glory. Okay? It's not given to me as far as my glory. But notice why the dream was given. The secret was revealed for Daniel's sake and the king's understanding. Now, the Daniel's sake. Now, anybody know why he would say that? Look at what it says there. Verse 30. But for our sakes. Who's the R there? Anybody know who the R is? Daniel and his three friends. Okay, so... This dream was given specifically for what purpose? Keep them from dying. I would go one step further and say in answer to their what? Prayers. Because why? If you go up a little bit further in chapter 2 before we get to the right before verse 24, just a few verses before verse 24, you see Daniel goes to his friends and the reason why they he tells them to pray for the dream and the interpretation is for what? So that the king knows? Is that the reason why they're praying? Now, if you need to look at it, is it so that the king knows the dream and the interpretation? Is that why Daniel's praying? No, he's praying so that they don't get killed. Okay? Because they're slated to be killed. 
And so, I mean, it's okay to pray to God, God, take care of your servants. Let the, let the big guy know the dream. Tell us the dream so we can tell him, so we can live. So Daniel says to the king, first of all, the first reason why this was given was for our sakes. So we wouldn't be killed. Okay? Then he says the second reason is for what? For you to understand, O king. For you to understand. Okay? For you to understand. So we see a couple of things happening here with Daniel. Right off the bat, his character. First of all, he defers any credit concerning the interpretation in a dream. He doesn't take any credit. He doesn't make himself look special. He gives the credit to who? To God. Okay? He says, King, this was given for a purpose. The purpose is to reveal what's happening in the future. And But here's the thing. The reason why we have it is because God gave it to us for our sake, so you don't kill us. So answer prayer, and so that you have understanding about what's going to happen in the future. But actually, I think it's a little bit more than just understanding. Look exactly at what the verse says. Look with me at verse 30. And that you may know what? The thoughts of your heart. What do you think he's saying there? It isn't just that you have understanding about what's going to happen in the future. He's saying, King, this dream was given for our sakes, but it was also given for you so that you understand what? Yeah, the condition of your heart. And believe me, the very next chapter, you're going to see the condition of Nebuchadnezzar's heart, because he, based upon the dream, he builds, it tell, the text tells us he builds an image, whether it's a statue or an obelisk, and I'll mention that in a couple weeks when we get there, but he builds this image, this golden image, to commemorate how great he is, so obviously the dream is revealing what about Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, his pride, his arrogance, his sin. Do you understand? Which gets him in trouble by the time you get to chapter 4 because there's another dream that Nebuchadnezzar has that's given specifically for Nebuchadnezzar because of his what? Pride and arrogance. Okay? Pride and arrogance. So we see here that God is doing something and ultimately it's, he's showing himself mighty in the hands of men Especially kings who think themselves to be gods. Okay? Who think themselves to be gods. You know, when you read passages like this, this is where you come to the realization that sayings like, how many of you heard this saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely? Have you heard that before? That is so true. When you have men who have no accountability, and in Nebuchadnezzar's case, there's no accountability. I mean, he has the rule of the sword. He can just say, you know what, I don't like you. You're done. I don't want to see you in my presence. Go take him out and kill him. That's what they would do. That's the kind of king we're talking about. But God shows himself mighty. So look with me. We're going to see the dream. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time here, is we're going to look at what the components of the dream are. And next week we'll look at the interpretation, because next week 
is going to take a little bit of time as we go through this. Look with me, verse 31 to 35. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so no trace of them could be found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. Quite a, quite a, quite a dream, isn't it? Boy, if you had that kind of dream and you didn't understand it, I think you would be freaked out too. And especially the text kind of tells us that he didn't just have this dream one time. It was called dream, so he had a, a recurring dream. So he's bothered by the same dream every night. How many of you have ever had dreams where you've had the same dream every night? Okay. That kind of bothers you, doesn't it? It's one thing to have a goofy dream and you're like, oh, it was that hot Italian sausage or I had too much pizza the night before, you know. Uh, or pork and sauerkraut, something that, you know, it's like, okay, that's why I'm having dreams tonight, okay? But the reality is, he's having the same dream every night. If you're having the same dream every night, change your diet, okay? All right? But he's having the same dream, and you kind of see the picture of what it is here. All right? So let's look at it. First of all, verse 31, Daniel tells him, now this is amazing, because he's going to tell him his dream. Daniel tells the king that he saw a great image that was splendid and awesome. Awesome here also is not just that it's grand and spectacular. Awesome means here that it's of the size of the image. So it's obviously a very big image that he sees in his dream. That's splendid. And when you look at what it's made of, yeah, it would be splendid, wouldn't you? We talk about gold, silver, bronze, okay? You're talking about something that's really awesome here, all right? And he talks about the makeup of the image. So the image had a head of gold, okay? So it had a head of gold, a chest and arms of silver, and thighs of bronze, okay? Thighs of bronze. So, okay, if you're you're looking at it, let's say I'm the image. I'm not splendid, Okay, uh, but let's say the head is gold, the chest and the arms are silver, and the thighs, which would be about right here, okay, would be bronze, okay, so that's what the image is so far. And then the image has legs of iron, so the legs are made of iron, but the feet are interesting because the feet are made up of an iron and clay mixture. Okay, so the image that he sees is made up of an iron and clay mixture. So that would be, how many of you have ever seen an iron and clay mixture? That would be, we've never seen anything like that, but obviously in the dream it is. 
That would be almost unheard of to us because that would be so what? Unstable. Okay? That would be so unstable. Because that those two compounds just don't go together. You know what I'm saying? They don't go together. Now, here's what he sees happening. He sees the destruction of the image. He sees a stone that was cut out without hands. So he sees a stone. The emphasis here that it was cut out without hands. So it's a stone that's not made by men. Okay? It's not a stone made by humanity. Now the stone, notice where it strikes, strikes the feet of the image and broke them into pieces. Okay, so it strikes the feet of the image, which creates instability for the whole image and breaks it to pieces. And then it goes one step further. In the dream, the king sees that the image is crushed together. So the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the iron clay, they're all crushed together. And then it says they're blown away like chaff. Now, how many of you have ever seen the threshing of wheat before? How many of you have seen that? And you notice that when you thresh the wheat, there is... Chaff, and so what they do is, is you know, in the old days they would have a threshing floor, and they would thresh the grain, and what they would do is, after beating it for a while, the chaff, because it was lighter than the grain, would blow away in the wind, and the grain would continue to fall down in the threshing floor. And so he's saying that these, this image basically is crushed, and blows away like dust. Okay, blows away like dust, and then. The stone becomes, this is the last part of the dream, that stone which crushed the image becomes a mountain that filled the whole earth. So it becomes a mountain that filled the whole earth. Okay? Now next week, we're going to spend all of our time talking Basically, in about 13 verses, what the interpretation is. 